أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ياسين والقرآن الحكيم إنك لمن المرسلين على صراط تنزيل العزيز الرحيم لتنذر قوما ما أنذر آباؤهم فهم غافلون لقد حق القول على أكثرهم فهم لا وجعلنا من بين أيديهم سدا ومن خلفهم سدا فأغشيناهم فهم لا يبصرون وسواء عليهم أأنذرتهم أم لم تنذرهم لا يؤمنون إنما تنذر من اتبع الذكر وخشي فبشروا بمغفرة وأجر كريم إنا نحن نحيي الموتى ونكتب ما قدموا وآثارهم وكل شيء أحصيناه في إمام مبين واضرب لهم مثلا أصحاب القرية إذ جاء أرسلنا إليهم اثنين فكذبوهما فعززنا بثالث فقالوا فقالوا إنا إليكم مرسلون قالوا ما أنتم إلا بشر مثلنا وما لنرجمنكم وليمسنكم منا عذاب أليم قالوا طائركم معكم أئن ذكرتم بل أنتم قوم مسرفون وجاء من أقصى المدينة رجل يسعى اتبعوا المرسلين 
اتبعوا من لا يسألكم أجرا وهم مهتدون وما لي لا أعبد الذي فطرني وإليه ترجعون أأتخذ من دونه آلهة Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya, the three Muslims. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting once again with Dr. Ali Atai. Assalamu alaikum. How are you doing today? Wa alaikum salam. How are you? Alhamdulillah, tamam, tamam. It's a pleasure and an honor to be sitting with, uh, here with you again. Alhamdulillah. I think it's going to be a really good stream. Um, for those of you who are unaware, we did a stream recently with Dr. Ali Atai. Um, very, very qualified individual. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your studies? Uh, well, um... I've uh, always been a student of religion, um, kind of a perennial student of religion. Not a, not a perennialist, a perennial student of religion. So there's a big difference there. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I've done a lot of independent study. Eventually, I got around to doing a master's degree in, in uh, biblical studies. I focus on New Testament and uh, uh, biblical languages. Uh, and then eventually did a Ph.D., and uh, basically, it did something, broadly speaking, it's comparative theology, but more specifically speaking, I did a Muslim hermeneutic of the Gospel of John. If people want to look that up, they can, if they can decipher it. <laughs> I, I look back at it now, and I don't, I don't understand half of it. So, <laughs> But basically, comparative theology. Amazing, amazing. Allahumma barak. All right, so, and we actually have young Don here with us today in the stream. Hope you're doing well, my brother, and I hope that you enjoy the stream. And as always, you're always welcome, welcome up if you uh, have the time to hop on. So, with that being said, uh, a lot of people accuse me of clickbait. I, I don't know why. I, a lot of them don't believe me on this. They think I'm just making it up. So, inshallah, we're going to go ahead. We're actually going to play a clip from young Don's stream that he did a few days ago. So, you guys can see and hear for yourself. And if at any point, um, Dr. Atai, you want to jump in, uh, please, you know, do not hesitate to do so. All right, bismillah. But since while I was at it, testing all of these beliefs, these lies that I've inherited from mainstream churchianity, I said, well, how about the Trinity then? Now, I had no problem with the Trinity. I love the Trinity. When, you know, I've had Muslims join my Discord and I've debated them and, and proven to them that the Trinity is true. The Trinity is true. Why? Because according to mainstream Christian culture, to deny the Trinity is to deny God. To deny the Trinity is to deny Jesus, Yahweh, everything all together, as if they, don't, they aren't even real. I never for a moment 
consider the possibility that man has miscategorized these people. I mean, Jesus sure does call himself God's son over and over and over and over. Tells us there is only one true God, the Father. This is a message that is repeated throughout the Bible in several places. And so I was like, you know what? Let's, let's look into this. Let's test it. And I tested it and tested it, and it came up short. Wait a minute. Do you know how many times the, the term God the Father occurs in the Bible? 19. You know how many times God the Son or God the Holy Spirit occurs in the Bible? Zero. Zero. Wonder why. That's interesting. And so I was like, you know, let's really dig deep. Now, I dug deep, looked into it pretty thoroughly for two weeks, and then I started to, to share this quietly, right, by discussing it with people. Who I'm going to pause there for a second. For the mm. next minute or so, he goes on to mention how the Christians accuse him of being a lot of things, one of which was a Muslim, <laughs> which I don't know why that's like an insult. I was like, oh, you're just a Muslim, you. But uh, huh. I think kind of funny but yeah so what are your thoughts so far how many people do you think actually go down this route of discovering that the trinity is not exactly something that is inherited through the bible yeah i mean there's there have always been unitarian christians um i'm more interested i mean i'm interested in hearing more from him but it seems like he uh is an aryan christian so not not aryan as in like the aryan race obviously but uh the uh, fourth century a presbyter in Alexandria who was uh, defeated at the Council of Nicaea in 325 of the Common Era, Arius of Alexandria, right? Who basically said that, and he had the same basic canon as Athanasius, right? But that's another issue we can talk about as a Christian canon, right? It's a really interesting history. But, you know, Arius had the Gospel of John. He believed in the Gospel of John. He had the Pauline epistles. He believed in those as well. But he came to the conclusion, as uh, this uh, brother did, that the Trinity, or not even the Trinity at this point, because the Trinity didn't actually become Orthodox Christianity until 381, which is a few decades after Nicaea. Wow. But he came to the conclusion that, that the Son of God cannot be ontologically equal with God the Father. Right. So he would consider that, Arius considered that to be uh, totally heretical, right? Um, that God the Father is the only one who is truly God. And this is John 17, 3. I mean, again, I mean, we, we talked about some of this last time as well, that if you ask a Christian at random, where does Jesus claim to be God? Or where is it stated explicitly that Jesus, peace be upon him, is God in the New Testament? Uh, most Christians, I think, would quote something from the Gospel of John. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God. And that's 17, 3. But if you go back to 17, 1, it says very clearly, the evangelist, we'll call him John for now. We don't know who wrote the Gospel of John, just out of convenience, we'll call him John. Uh, but he says that this is a prayer, a high priestly prayer that Jesus offers to the Father. He's speaking to the Father. And he says that the Father is the only one who is truly God, right? 
And that's what the Greek actually says. The only one who is truly God. To know you, the only true God. The only one who is truly God. And to know, so the verb is implied in the second clause. And to know that Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Wow. Right? Uh, so that's, um, that's, that's pretty close to our shahada, right? Yes. That there is no God but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And all of the prophets before him are sent of God, right? So he, he seems to come very close to the, uh, the Arian position. Arius also, because there's that verse in Colossians 1.15, I don't know if this brother quoted that. I didn't. I, I, I watched some of this, uh, um, what you just showed from his podcast, um, just a few minutes of it. But I imagine that he probably quoted 115 of Colossians, which is pseudo-Pauline. I mean, Paul didn't, wrote, didn't write Colossians, according to the vast majority of historical scholars. But whoever wrote Colossians, he refers to the Son as the firstborn of creation, right? Yeah. And that's, that's just very clear that that the son is created. It doesn't, he doesn't say Jesus Christ is created. Yeah. Because a, a Trinitarian could argue here that, yeah, Jesus's body, as it were, you know, is, is created. His flesh body is not e pre-eternal. Yeah. But the, uh, the essence uh, that dwells within the incarnated logos within the flesh is, is pre-eternal. But, but pseudo-Paul here in Colossians is clearly talking about uh, the son, He's the firstborn of all creation. So, so Arius believed that Jesus was ketisma teleon. That's the term that he used. Ketisma teleon literally means uh, the most perfect or the first of all creation. Wow. But he's still created, right? Wow. Wow. And uh, the uh, church fathers who met at Nicaea, who anathematized uh, Arius, and it's a very interesting history. I highly recommend Christians especially Christians that are struggling with this issue of Trinity, you don't have to let go of Jesus when you let go of the Trinity. You can continue to love Jesus. Okay, Muslims love Jesus. Unitarian Christians love Jesus. Uh, but but um, Arius was anathematized. At Nicene. And if you actually read the Nicene Creed, it's very short. I think it froze a little bit. Hopefully we didn't lose him. <clears throat> oh, no. Dr. Atai, if you can hear me, I think we lost you a little bit. <clears throat> but it's okay, inshallah. He might he might leave and come back in a second. But I do want to bring up Young Don's comment. I think it's very important since we are talking about the brother that we do voice anything that he, he comments, anything he says. So he says, Shalom, brothers. Jesus is the true Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And uh, oh, we lost Dr. Atai. Inshallah, he'll be back soon. One second. All right. Um, the one who holds the keys to life and death, eternal life, but y'all were right about the Trinity being an error. This is, is really why I appreciate you, Young Don, because like I mentioned, because like, we spoke earlier, and like I mentioned, I really think you're a sincere guy. You know, when, when I was watching your stream, I really just heard a very sincere brother who is, you don't have a problem quoting a verse that Muslims brought to you earlier and being honest about what Jesus said and about uh, the creedal issues in Christianity. Even you mentioning that, like you, you were worried about bringing this to the general populace of your audience because you didn't want anyone to donate something crazy or try and put you on the spot. I felt that, man. And I, I respect that greatly because genuinely, I think you're a very sincere dude. <clears throat> Says not Aryan brothers. I believe we must keep the Torah and that Jesus existed before his incarnation. Okay. 
I see. I'll share the Dr. Ali Atai when he gets back, inshallah. Again, I'm not sure exactly what happened, but. So, <clears throat> Don, if you're still with us, Jesus existed in what sense before his incarnation? So, we, 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 we understand that you believe that. Is it the essence of Jesus or is it the body of Jesus? And you believe that. Oh, okay, we got him. We got him back with us. Hey, welcome back. Oh, I don't know what happened. My computer just kind of crashed on me. It's okay. No worries. No worries, inshallah. So we actually have young Don. He left a comment. He said he's not Aryan. I believe we must keep the Torah and that Jesus existed before his incarnation. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's also Arius' position. Oh, really? I bet you have to keep the Torah, um, but uh, I mean, it's to me that even historical Jesus, um, because of his office as a prophet, ameliorated the, the mitzvot of the Torah. In other words, he probably taught a more sort of liberal, not liberal in the sense that we know of sort of left wing or anything like that. Uh, but an easier version, if you will, of the Torah. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 15, for what it's worth, I mean, the book of Acts is probably written in the second century. This is where the scholarship is leading to now. Right. Yeah. Um, probably early second century. But in Acts chapter 15, um, the uh, James the Just, who is the successor of Jesus, peace be upon him, in Jerusalem, um, that was... You know, Acts chapter 15 is all about the Jerusalem council. How much of the law do we have to impose upon these gentle converts to this new way, right? Um, so uh, their decision was that Gentiles do not have to follow all of the law. Essentially, all they have to follow is the seven Noahidic laws, right? Um, while as, uh, whereas um, the, the, the Jewish Christians really have to keep most of the uh, commandments. Uh, can you still hear me there? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're still okay. with us, alhamdulillah. So, okay, okay, okay so that's, that's very interesting. And, and, and I do want to get into all of this very, very soon. I have a few questions about early Christendom and how the, the Jewish Christians, you know, kind of might, might have had a different belief to the Gentile Christians because it seems to be the case that there was a lot of speculation in the early years of Christianity, you know, uh, from 30, 33 AD onwards. Um, and I, I was wondering, why did Paul's Christology of Jesus flourish the way that it did? Is it because he was the only one preaching to the Gentiles? Is it, is it because what he said just made the most sense? Is it because what he said was true about Jesus? Why do you think his Christology stuck and like the Ebionites' belief or Basilides' belief didn't? Yeah, it's an interesting question. We don't really know the exact reasons. You know, certainly Paul uh, was not the only one teaching in Gentile lands. I mean, from Paul's own hand, we know that men from James would follow him in his wake um, and try to essentially correct his version of the gospel. You know, so the sort of standard exegesis of Galatians, I think still as F.C. Bauer, you know, I don't think he's been really debunked. So basically, you know, Paul goes to Galatia to preach his gospel, and he calls it my gospel. Uh-oh. Evangelizes the city of Galatia or the, the province of Galatia. And then he leaves and then uh, and then um, apostles from Jerusalem 
these Jamesonian Nazarenes, most likely sent by James, because James was still, you know, in the 50s. I mean, James was martyred like 62. This is probably 55, something like that. Yeah. So undoubtedly, they're sent by James. And at one point, he actually identifies uh, his enemies as men from James. And who is James? A lot of Christians haven't heard of James. James is the brother of Jesus, whatever that means. Yeah. Maybe his cousin or half-brother. But he is the leader of the Christians for 30 years. So he sends these apostles in the Galatia to correct Paul's gospel, basically. And Paul hears of this. Uh, and then he writes a very strongly worded letter back to the Galatians, you know, warning them about, you know, a heteron uh, evangelion, which means a different gospel, Wow. And a different Jesus. And he says, even if. Looks like the uh, Wi-Fi is a, bit, a little bit choppy, but it's okay, inshallah. <clears throat> okay, let me let me take this time to put up uh, Don's comment. Paul didn't preach a different gospel. His words have been misunderstood by Muslims and Christians alike. Okay, no worries, no worries, inshallah. And, um. If obviously, you know, if that's what you believe, that's a non-issue. We're just here to discuss, you know, based on the evidences. So similarly to, you know, how you were mentioning the, you know, a, a certain passage was put into the Bible that um, was not there originally or how the Trinity was inferred into Christianity because, you know, what, what did you call it? Churchianity or something like that. That's an interesting term. Um, we're saying that there may be more to the New Testament. There may be more to the Bible. There may be more to Christianity and early Christendom than most people are aware of. So I think what Dr. Aliotai is referring to here um, uh, would be, I think it's I think it's in Galatians, I think that's what he mentioned. It's in one of the early books where he speaks about, um, he, whoever he writes to, whether it's the Corinthians or whatever, um, he, he says basically, you know, how dare you accept a different gospel? If anyone preaches to you something that's other or opposed to my gospel, even if it's me or an angel from heaven, do not believe it. What I got was from, you know, uh, was from God himself, from heaven itself. Please tell Dr. Ali Atai I love him uh, and for his dua. Inshallah, I will. May Allah bless you um, once he gets back. <laughs> so I, that's the, I think that's what he was referring to. And I want everyone to know, we, we honestly, I, I, I highly respect Young Don. I really do appreciate his shift. Not because, you know, he, he agrees more with Muslims, but because it shows that he is sincere. You know, the fact that he's willing to go to his vastly Trinitarian audience and proclaim a thing. And for his own reason, uh, he said that he doesn't want to be held accountable by God. I think that's a very noble thing. Paul's writings have been misunderstood. He preached keeping the Torah. If I was on my office, I would hop on and explain the perspective of Paul. No worries, bro. No worries. Inshallah, take your time. If you want, you're always invited. Uh, if you want to hop on like on Saturday or whatever, it's completely up to you, bro. Like I mentioned, um, you are always invited. Yeah, he's uh, Dr. Ali Atai is 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 great. Uh, his Wi-Fi is not so great, unfortunately, but <laughs> alhamdulillah, he um, he does know what he's talking about. I think he he, he does a great job of presenting that as well. <clears throat> he's very uh, you know well studied as well. So. <clears throat> Uh, on that note, that Paul did not preach giving up the 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 law. There was a verse in regards to that. It completely slipped my mind. I'm going to try and find it, inshallah, in the meantime. All right. Welcome back. Yeah, my computer is just overheating. I see. No worries, inshallah. Yeah, it keeps shutting down on me. i got to get a new computer, I think. That's okay. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe joining on your phone might be a little easier if it, if it crashes again. Oh, yeah, join on my phone. I can probably do that, right? Probably. Yeah. Is that what you did yeah, last yeah. 
No, no, I, I can. I, you know, let me. Do you want to try? What is it? What's the thing? Hold on. Okay, if it does it one more time, we'll try it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Inshallah, sounds good. So, while the Wi-Fi was trying to stop our amazing uh, dialogue, <laughs> Young Don mentioned that um, Paul did not preach to give up the Torah and to abandon it, and that these words are misunderstood or misconstrued um, by some Christians and some Muslims. Um. I mean, the, the law is nailed to the cross, right? Um, we are free from the bondage of the law. I mean, very clearly in his letters, I would say, his genuine corpus, he's uh, antinomian. That is to say that he's speaking against the law. I mean, and yeah, the, the way that Acts, the book of Acts portrays Paul, he agrees with James in the book of Acts that, you know, James tells him to go pay for these four men who are taking the vow of the Nazarite to prove that you follow the law, says James. So that's what Paul does. So whoever wrote uh, Acts, which is the same author as Luke, we'll call him Luke, um, I guess is trying to defend Paul by saying that, no, Paul did, in fact, follow some of the law. Uh, and so, like, one of the things that James says that is that you have to tell, you have to basically, uh, you have to basically tell people not to eat meat that is sacrificed by idols. This is one of these sort of uh, statutes or commandments that comes out of the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Mm -hmm. But in Paul's letters, he says there's nothing wrong with eating such meat right wow. circumcision will will profit you nothing circumcision of the heart is 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 his stress right I and see. and he's he's very derogatory towards uh these jerusalem apostles by calling them you know the dogs of the circumcision and wow. he says i wish that the knife would slip and they would emasculate themselves uh, completely um you know so uh i, I would say that the vast majority of Pauline scholars would disagree with that notion and say that Paul is definitely uh, uh, at, at some level an antinomian. That is to say that he's against the, the Torah of Moses to a significant degree. Um, and that's basically the Christianity that, that won today. I, I didn't, what was I saying before uh, my computer crashed again? <laughs> I was trying to make a point, but I, oh, I was saying about the, the book of Galatians. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah, so the standard sort of exegesis is that is that definitely there were there were other Christians in the Gentile world that were in the world that were evangelizing uh, a different gospel, according to what Paul is saying. Uh, and this is coming out of Jerusalem. This is coming from James, you know, so very early on. Even in Paul's day, even in the 50s, there's multiple versions of Christianity all right, and I think I think that's something that's very interesting. I'm gonna put up a comment from Young Don, and then inshallah, I want to make uh, a general. Actually, may, let me make my point first because I think the comments can open up a greater discussion. I think it's very important that we look at the Bible from a historical perspective and not just a religious one or a theological one. The reason I say that is because it's very, it's very clear that these are letters being written in response to beliefs, in response to other letters, in response to circumstances that are going on at the time. And as soon as you contextualize the letters in that sense, it it really does make sense. Um, and this is something I mentioned to you briefly in message before that, you know, when you read James, the first letter of James, you see the messaging is, is so, uh, honestly, I, I would say very Muslim-like, to be honest. There's a lot of very beautiful things in there being said about, you know, keeping up the law and being uh, sincere and persevering through tough times and being joyful through these tough times. It's very, a lot of Muslim concepts, oh, taking care of the orphans and the widows. These are beautiful things that you will also find in Islam. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, I don't think that it is authentically written by, by James, but rather someone who claimed to be James yeah. was a forgery. Unfortunately, 
but it is de deemed to be one of the earliest, if not the earliest thing that was written in out of the 27 books in the New Testament. And when you contrast to yeah. that with what Paul was writing, it, it, it really does differ in the content and what is being said. And I think that is for very clear contextual reasons historically, who, he, who he's writing to and uh, the exact message he's trying to get across. Now, I do want to bring up this comment from Young Don. He quoted a verse... That says, now, brothers and sisters, if I still if I if I still preach circumcision circumcision, pardon me, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Galatians five eleven. Yeah, I mean, what what type of circumcision? I mean, Paul goes on to say uh, that he's he preaches a circumcision of of the heart, right? He's not requiring Gentiles to be circumcised, right? I mean, he circumcises Timothy with his own hands, basically to placate Jewish authorities. But his position is that Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. I would say that most Christians today are not circumcised uh, because they're interpreting Paul um, holistically, not just looking at one verse or two. But uh, And Paul is a very mystical writer. So you, we'd have to see, you know, what does he mean by circumcision? What does he mean by resurrection? There's, Paul is very difficult to read sometimes, very difficult to understand even. Like, what's his position on the resurrection uh, even? According to some historians, Paul doesn't believe in a, in a corporeal resurrection of Jesus. That's why he never talks about the empty tomb. You'll never hear the, you never read the words empty tomb in any genuine uh, Pauline letter. You would think that was an important uh, event uh, uh, for Paul. Uh, but Paul talks about, you know, a, 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 a physical body and a, and a spiritual body, right? Uh, a corpus that is sort of material and a corpus that is, uh, that is pneuma, he says, that is, uh, that is spiritual, that is pure spirit. And this is really more of a Greek orientation, lest we forget that Paul is a bit of an amateur philosopher, Hellenistic philosopher, right? So he's Jewish, but not everything a Jew says is according to Judaism. I mean, Sam Harris is Jewish, right? Uh, ethnically, he's, but uh, he's certainly not an authority on Judaism. Yeah. Um, so the gospel authors, it seems like later on, a few years after Paul's letters, because uh, appealing to Jews with the gospel is obviously uh, important. Um, mm. And so uh, they started this, um, uh, this uh, narrative of an empty tomb that the body was physically reconstructed um, and Jesus left the tomb physically. Um, so. All right. Very interesting. And uh, for everyone who's telling Young Don to come on, he already mentioned that he's not in his office. He's, he's not available <laughs> for that. And uh, I am very happy that he's with us today, even if it's just in the comments and giving his thoughts there. Uh, so let's yeah. respect that he's not in his office, inshallah. He says, we'll schedule a proper call soon. I'll bring on an expert on Pauline writings. Sounds great, inshallah. I would be happy to, to discuss that with you. Now, <clears throat> I do want to shift the conversation because it's obviously it's not all about Young Don. I think it's, it's a tremendous kind of revelation that he's had um, in you know coming through this to this conclusion through the scripture. But I do want to ask about how did the Trinity come to be theologically and how did the bible become canon i know that it's something that individual church fathers were working on by themselves um yeah. throughout maybe one to two centuries but it was something that was canonized at some point and i heard that there were 30 gospels 26 of which were thrown away and four were kept mark matthew luke and john so i would love for you to tell us a bit about that yeah so it's a really interesting question that requires, um, you know, a substantive study of Christian history. But, you know, it's interesting, most people don't know this, but the Christian canon was not definitively and officially closed 
uh, until the 16th century, okay, the Council of Trent. Um, this is a thousand years after Islam, right? Um, so, I mean, the first Christian bishop um, who suggested that these present 27 books should be the only books to be read was Athanasius of Alexandria, who was actually the bishop of Arius, right? Wow. So Arius and, and, and uh, Athanasius were both at Nicaea, and, and Athanasius won, won the day uh, through vote. Uh, but his letter in 367 of the Common Era, it's called the 39th Festal uh, Letter, uh, he, was, he was the first one who said, just read these 27 books from Matthew to Revelation, our present canon. But that's just one man's opinion, uh, basically. And, uh, you know, Bart Ehrman did his dissertation on Didymus the Blind, who was another um, scholar in Alexandria, a contemporary of Athanasius, living in the same time in the same city. And Didymus the Blind's canon was different than Athanasius. People think that Athanasius settled the canon. No, he, did, he didn't do that at all. Um, there was massive difference of opinion into the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th century as to what, what books should be included definitively and what, what books should be excluded. You know, wow. I mean, there was a synod at Hippo in 393, right? But this was a minor council. It's not an ecumenical council, right? So everyone at this time was basically Catholic. The Proto-Orthodox had become Catholic. Um, and so um, a, a, a minor council is not binding upon the Christian world, only an ecumenical council. And that didn't happen until the 16th. Uh, century. Uh, and, and contrary to popular belief, the Council of Nicaea had nothing to do with, uh, with, the, with the canon, the New Testament canon. It did not deal with the canon. I think this rumor comes from uh, Dan Brown or something, the Da Vinci Code or something like that. And there are Christian apologists who will insist that the canon was settled in the second century. And this is just completely inaccurate, uh, totally false. I mean, you had early church fathers uh, quoting from, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they also quoted from other things uh, as well. I mean, um, Serapion, uh, one of the church fathers of the time, he actually believed the gospel of Peter was authentic uh, and, and endorsed it, but then later on said, no, actually, it's, it's heresy. And uh, Didymus the Blind, as I said earlier, he didn't accept Second Peter. He thought it was a total forgery. Mm -hmm. um, he included in his canon the Shepherd of Hermas, the Epistle of Barnabas, uh, which are very, very interesting um, uh, books. I mean, the Epistle of Barnabas, I mean, you talk about antinomianism. Whoever wrote the Epistle of Barnabas, and the Epistle of Barnabas is also in the Codex Sinaiticus, which is the oldest complete New Testament in existence. It's dated to like 350 of the Common Era. The oldest complete New Testament in existence that's extant is called the Codex Sinaiticus, and its canon includes the Epistle of Barnabas. And this person, Barnabas, who wrote this, uh, and it's not the Gospel of Barnabas. Muslims get these <laughs> Muslims get these things confused. Completely, completely different. The Epistle of Barnabas actually, the author says that the Jews completely misunderstood all of the dietary restrictions in the Torah, and that when God said "Don't eat pig," he means to say "Don't hang out with people who are pigs." That's what it means. <laughs> you, you've you've always been allowed to eat pigs, and then when he said "Don't be like the uh, hyena," it's because the hyena can switch its gender. So don't be like a man one day and a woman like another. Don't be gender fluid. This is what he says, the, the author of the Epistle of Barnabas. Wow. And then he says something really interesting about the weasel. I won't, I won't talk about what he says about the weasel. But he, can, he accepted that. I mean, there were Christian, whoever wrote the Codex Sinaiticus, probably a committee, maybe Eusebius of Caesarea, 
because Constantine commissioned uh, some some Bibles. This could have been maybe one of them. So it seems like this was part of the Christian canon, right? Uh, so yeah, I mean, if you read the Gospel of Luke, Luke um, has a preamble, and people should read that preamble. People kind of just, I mean, they read it quickly and get to the, you know, the sort of meat of the issue, the heart of the story, as it were. But Luke actually says that it seemed like a good idea for him to write a gospel because poloi, the Greek poloi, means many have undertaken this. Many, there were many gospels. That's what he says. At his time, Luke is writing, um, according to most historians, uh, confessional and non-confessional, he's probably writing around 80, 85, something like that, maybe 90. And by that time, there are many gospels written about Jesus. Now, what are these gospels? What is he talking about? Um, from a Christian confessional perspective, he could only be talking about basically Mark and Matthew, and that's about it, right? Uh, but that's that's not many because Luke says in, he says himself in Luke chapter six that when Jesus came to the to Peter and he said, "Cast your net," right? He says there was so many fish in the net that the nets were going to break. And the word he uses there is poloi. Mm -hmm. There was poloi fish. That means there were hundreds of fish in this net. So poloi gospels does not mean two gospels. Yeah. It means possibly dozens of gospels. Where are these gospels? These are lost to history. You know, we don't know where they are. Every so often some Bedouin or, you know, he's in a cave somewhere in Egypt or in Jordan or something like that. I mean, that's how the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Uh, was, was discovered. The Nag Hammadi Library. Right. The yeah. Nakamadi Library contains, I mean, these are fourth century documents, but scholars believe that they're, they're copies of first and second century uh, Christian gospels. The Gospel of Thomas. Many scholars date that to the first century or right around the time John wrote his gospel. It's a contemporary with the Gospel of John. Wow. Right. And the other thing is, how did how did they actually pick the canon? How did the Christian, the early church fathers and the proto-Orthodox uh, church fathers, how did they determine the canon? Well, basically, if something... Uh, was um, proto-Orthodox according to them. If it was in agreement with their theology, uh, then they would attribute it to an apostle, right? Even if the book is anonymous. For example, the Gospel of Matthew is anonymous. Whoever wrote Matthew did not identify himself, yeah. right? But the early church fathers, they, they liked this gospel. They liked the Gospel of Matthew. So they said, okay, fine, you know, Matthew wrote it. Matthew is a disciple. Wow. But then you look at something like the Gospel of Thomas, which is written around the same time, according to many scholars, late first century. Yeah. And the author identifies himself explicitly as Thomas, a wow. disciple, as an apostle, because it didn't jive with the proto-orthodoxy of the church fathers. They said, this must be a forgery. Right. Wow. So they, they, they decided kind of what was true about Jesus and then use that as a criteria to... Yeah. confirm or deny anything that was written about Jesus. That's, that's yeah, very exactly. interesting. Yeah, so, like, the, like the gospel, I'll give you another example, the gospel of Peter, right? The gospel of Peter, according to many scholars, late first century, maybe early second century. I mean, right around the time Acts was written, maybe the gospel of John was written. Yeah. The gospel of John, again, is anonymous. The gospel of Peter explicitly claims itself to be authored by Peter, yeah. uh, but was considered to be, I mean, like I said, Serapion did uh, um, accept it at one point, then he went back. <laughs> Because the crucifixion scene is, is, is strange. It says that when they crucified Jesus, he was silent as if he felt no pain. Yeah. 
And they said, well, what's going on here? What happened? Was Jesus' soul maybe raptured up into heaven? Are they crucifying sort of an empty shell of a body? <clears throat> so they didn't like that, right? Because Jesus has to suffer for our sins, right? His pain is our gain, as it were. Wow. Uh, so uh, eventually that, that gospel, which explicitly is authored, whoever wrote this gospel said, I'm Peter, that's rejected. But the gospel of Mark, which is anonymous, is accepted. And Mark is a student of Peter, according wow. to the Proto Orthodox. Wow. That's, that's, that's very, very interesting. I mean, to be fair to, to uh, like Mark and Matthew, they were written fairly early, maybe compared to some of the other ones. But this, I, th I think maybe the comparison is so minimal that, like, for example, like what you mentioned, the Gospel of Thomas, the Jesus Seminar, they compiled the book called The Five Gospels, and they included the Gospel of Thomas, and they were yeah. voting on every verse that Jesus allegedly said. They were voting on the probability of him actually saying that. So they included yeah. that. And as a historical document, that might actually lead to some of the things Jesus did say, historically speaking. So I think that yeah. that is very interesting. I do have a super chat here. Um, okay. I think it's also very interesting one because uh, there's a familiar name to you and myself. Dr. Ali, recently, two well-known Christian scholars, Dr. Dennis McDonald and Dr. Robert J. Miller, left Christianity because they found New Testament problematic mixed. Um, New Testament, I guess, scripture problematically was mixed with Greco-Roman fiction. This is something that you talked about on Paul Williams' channel, Blogging Theology. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a blind spot in New Testament scholarship. I think more, more and more people are starting to take it seriously. Uh, Dr. Robin Faith Walsh, for example, is now, I think she's coming around to this. I think McDonald is definitely onto something. Yeah. Uh, Bart Ehrman has not come around to it yet, but I think eventually many, many historians will. Because I think there, yeah, there's obvious parallels between... Uh, Homeric epics, in particular, uh, and the, new, the the Jesus of the New Testament uh, Gospels, and so a book that I recommend is um, Homer. I think it's called Homer in the Gospels or something. The Gospel and the Gospels in Homer. I think yeah, by Dr. Dennis McDonald, where he shows yeah. all these different parallels. So there's definitely something there. This, you know, we talked about this last time as well. This was uh, something that was common amongst the Hellenistic novelists, right, in order to appeal to sort of their audience. Uh, they would take a well-known story and basically replace the hero with an, with somebody else um, in order to make some sort of philosophical or theological point. Yeah. So this was this was very common. Could you could you think of it as like a pop culture reference in a way or like a meme? Yeah, maybe it's a yeah. You, you, you ever you ever heard of the movie West Side Story? Right. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So they they did a remake of it like a couple of years ago, but the classic is in 1961. But that whole thing is based on Romeo and Juliet. Oh, wow. Right. So whoever whoever and this was this was done on purpose, obviously, whoever wrote West Side Story in the 1950s was sort of doing an updated version of Romeo and Juliet. So the Gospels are like this as well, kind of updating things with a new hero. Right. Oh, wow. Uh, so instead of Odysseus, now it's it's Jesus of Nazareth. That's yeah. not to say that that's not to say that all of these stories are false, um, but there is a, there is a, there is a, um, an element of verisimilitude. In other words, Mark in particular, because he's the first of the canonical gospels, he's trying to give the impression that what he's saying is historically accurate. And that's why he includes the names of many historical figures like Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. uh, but clearly uh, many of the things he's saying, in particular in the passion narrative, I would argue, the passion narrative strikes me as being almost completely unhistorical. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I did a podcast on, on that uh, yeah, almost yeah, every single yeah almost every single event in the passion narrative has some sort of parallel uh with with hellenistic um uh, pre-christian hellenistic literature 
Yeah. But you're right about like the Gospel of Thomas, for example. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. I mean, Thomas has. I mean, it, it got the reputation of being a Gnostic gospel, and this is, you know, the word Gnostic in Christian circles is very derogatory. In, in sort of Muslim circles, you know, an Arif Billah is actually quite positive. Like having Ma'rifa of yeah. God is actually quite positive. Uh, but the Gospel of Thomas was, um, it was assigned as one of these Gnostic gospels, which basically means that that whoever wrote the Gospel of Thomas believes that it's it's not in the death and resurrection of Jesus that gives salvation, but rather discovering sort of the hidden meanings of Jesus's sayings, right? Uh, in, in other words, coming into some sort of knowledge that gives you uh, salvation, knowledge or gnosis, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they would say, oh, that's, you know, that's a Gnostic. God. But interestingly, saying number 12 in the Gospel of Thomas is one of my favorite sayings where Jesus says to the disciples, when I'm gone, you have to go to James the Just. For whose sake heaven and earth came into being. Mm -hmm. James the just. Ya'aqub had sadiq. This is the brother of Jesus. This is the successor of Jesus. In other words, all of the apostles, right? All of them are outranked by James. All of them have to follow and obey James the just. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's very important. This includes Peter and Paul and all of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's so interesting because... When you contextualize the whole story in this way, and you really, even like for Christians, really question, is what stuck for Christianity true, or was it just what stuck? You really have to yeah. ask yourself this question. And I but think, I, th no, I think I think yeah. the brother, just to because you mentioned this earlier, the brother is on to something. Yeah, he's he's completely justified in in rejecting the Trinity. Yeah. We, we can chart the Trinity. I mean, the first theologian to use the word Trinity died in the third yeah. century. You know, Trinitas is Tertullian of Carthage. You know, he was the first theologian in the, in the Latin West to use the term Trinity. This is a later development. It's very, very clear. The gospel authors are not Trinitarians. Yeah. Okay. They're not Trinitarians. I mean, this is the standard historical criticism. And I think if, if, and of course, as I said, there are millions of Unitarian Christians who do not read the New Testament through a Trinitarian lens. The, the Trinity was not made Orthodox Christianity until 381, wow. right? Uh, the the Johannine Coma, 1 John 5, 7, right? So the first epistle of John 5, 7, it says in the King James Version, to this day, it's still there in, in English. It says, this, uh, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. That verse is nowhere to be found in any Greek manuscript until the 15th century. You will not find a Greek manuscript on earth as of yet that contains that verse. And in the Latin tradition, it was somebody put it into the Latin textual tradition in the fourth century, right? So it doesn't predate the fourth century. So this verse is an absolute fabrication to the text. Wow. And it's very okay. interesting because I think, I think that young Don actually mentioned that, or he mentioned it about a certain verse that's in the, in the gospel of John showing that it was a complete fabrication. So I'm very glad that he's open to, the the idea that some of the things might be fabricated or added on the bible to fit a certain narrative that is not exactly true now obviously for for young don and others who assert this belief you have to also open the rest of the bible up to that kind of scrutiny because why would you allow for one passage and not the rest of the bible if there is evidence to to demonstrate that something was added in or um or that there should be something that was that that was missing later on whether it's a whole gospel a book or some verses whatever it might be so i think this yeah. whole discussion is, is very very 
Interesting. Yeah, and and there and there, are, like I said, I mean the, the Unitarians they they believe in the Gospel of John, they believe in the prologue. I mean, there's some there's some opinion of the story in that the prologue, so John one, one to eighteen is maybe a later addition to the Gospel of John, uh, but most historians say no, that's that's authentic, and there's a way of reading the prologue that in through a, through a lens of a Unitarian that that completely works. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, <laughs> they're an interesting group of people. Um, you know, and they, and they, uh, the way that they translate the gospel of John is through a Unitarian lens. Of course, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're, they're not considered to be Christian by, you know, sort of mainstream, uh, Christian orthodoxy. Uh, but they really focus on the meanings of the, of the Greek uh, New Testament, right? Uh, so for example, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And that's the standard sort of English translation from a Trinitar- Trinitarian perspective. In the beginning was the word and the word uh, was with God, and then the Greek says kaitheos ein, uh, and the um, ein halagos, and a God was the Word. So the second occurrence of the word God in the beginning of the prologue does not have a definite article, yeah. and I think that's important uh, because because Jesus, peace be upon him, uh, in in no place in the New Testament, in no place in the four Gospels. Is called ha theos with a definite article, in an absolute and unqualified sense. Yeah. But only the Father is called the God. In the origin of Alexandria, one of these early church fathers, in the third century, he also said, you know, he was probably some sort of henotheist. In other words, he believes in sort of a hierarchy of gods, but he's not a trinitarian. He said the Father is autotheos, the very God, while the Son is theos, a God wow. or a divine being, right? So yeah, he's totally justified in rejecting the Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we might have lost Dr. Ali Atai for a second, but I do want to quote one verse that Young Don mentioned to me to kind of explain what he believes currently. And it's from First Corinthians, it's a it's a writing of Paul where it says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, for whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through uh whom we live. I was just reading from First Corinthians um, something that Young Don mentioned to me to explain his, his full beliefs. Can you repeat it again? I, I lost you for a second there. No, it's the beginning first, of the verse. Yeah, First Corinthians eight verse six. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from uh, whom all things came and for mm-hmm. whom we live, and there is but one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and uh, through whom we live. So he's basically saying that and this happens a lot that the Father is called God. And Jesus is called mm-hmm. Lord, and you can please, yeah. uh, you know, let us know what the word in Greek means for Lord. But when I looked at the dictionary, it could mean like a Lord, someone higher than you, a master. Doesn't necessarily yeah. have to mean like Lord God. Yeah, that verse is very clear. Um, Paul, and this is genuine. Paul, he he juxtaposes Father with God, right? The the Father is God, and Jesus is Lord, which yeah. means that he's not the God, right? Lord is someone else. It's different. Right. Um, and another verse, uh, Paul says, I think also in First Corinthians, might be in Second Corinthians, he says that uh, at the head of every woman is a man. Right. So the feminists, they don't like this, this verse. Right. <laughs> uh, and then he says at the head of every man is Christ. Yeah. And at the head of Christ is God. Right. At the head of Christ is God. So he doesn't say at the head of Christ is the father. 
right? Because if he said that, then the Trinitarians would say, yeah, you know, the, the father is greater than the son in his office or in his person, in his hypostasis. They have these, these terms that they use yeah. to avoid sort of reading a contradiction in, in the Gospels or in the letters of Paul. But here he's clearly saying that the head of Christ is God, meaning Christ is not God. So he's either a different God or he's no God, right? Well, somebody say, well, he's called Theos, right? And he's called a God in the Gospel of John. Uh, And I'm sure this brother pointed this out as well. Um, And this is known that in Greek, Theos doesn't necessarily mean a, a, a divine entity to be worshiped. Uh, but someone who has some sort of extraordinary ability or someone who is sort of supernatural, not in a sense that they're divine, but supernatural, meaning that they sort of are unique in their abilities as creation. For example, Paul refers to Satan as the, the God, Hatheos, of this world. The God of this world is Satan, right? Um, so it, it's, a, it's a very nuanced issue. Yeah, 100%. And on that note... I actually wanted to critique a bit of potential literary um, mimesis, as uh, Dr. Dennis McDonald mentioned. So you spoke about the Bakai by, um, who was it, Euripides? Yeah. And when you look at Dionysus, who is supposed to be uh, the god or like a god in the play, when you read the kind of spark notes summation of who he is, there's a lot that stands out in light of what we know Christians believe about Jesus. So I want to read a little bit. So um, mm. the principal subject of the Bacchae, um Dionysus possesses a multitude of powers and can take a variety of forms. So you already have a variety of forms. You know, you might say like a, a divine or a human form, and you might say, well, that's modalism. That's not exactly what we believe. Okay, no worries. In Euripides' conception of the God, however, his numerous forms conform to the logic of duality duality like a dual nature like hypostatic union perhaps and that they're both one thing and it's opposite simultaneously Dionysus is presented as being both inside and outside the play's action physically he is both beautiful and fearful by birth he is both divine and human the son of zeus who is the kind of capital letter g god i presume in, in greek mythology and a mortal woman the son of god and a mortal woman maybe i should share my screen here so you guys can see exactly what i'm talking about also while we wait for dr ali atai to um his wi-fi to to resuscitate it's okay inshallah i think he'll come back in a second so let me read this for you guys so this is where i left off by birth he's both divine and human the son of zeus who is god in greek mythology and a mortal woman by origin, he is both Greek. And, okay, this stuff doesn't really matter because it's it's more it's stuff that is specific to Dionysus. Uh, Dionysus' gifts allow humans to let go of their troubles through wine. Oh, okay, we got Dr. Ali Atai back. Welcome back. Wine. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, there are so many similarities. And then when you when you read, um, I believe actually the apostles, Luke or whoever wrote it write something, and this is something you mentioned on Blogging Theology, that's very similar to this the, uh, a hap, uh, happenstance in this play, where he mentions that Paul yeah. um, and him becoming going from Saul to becoming Paul is very similar to this play, where he mentions that the God appears to him, and 
basically right. asks why you persecute me and then uses a very specific phrase, which is a kink, kick against the goads occurs in right. this play and also occurs in the Acts of the Apologists or sorry, the Acts of the Apostles, pardon me. So yeah. it, I don't think it's a far, I, you, I mean, you're the scholar, but let me know. I don't think it's a far stretch to say that someone was inspired by this line of thinking. Yeah, Euripides Bacchae, yeah, Pentheus, he's on his way to persecute the Dionysian cult. His mother is a part of it. And on the way, Dionysus appears to him and he sees a light, right? And then eventually Pentheus is killed, uh, but Paul survives. So the author of Acts, who's Luke, we can just call him Luke, he seems to be, you know, sort of borrowing this story to drive a dramatic point home that Paul is similar to Pentheus, but Paul is superior because he actually converted to the religion of the person he was persecuting. But they, yeah, they both see a, a, a God that they are persecuting on the road to persecute the followers of that God. Wow. And they see a light and so on and so forth. And it's the same phrase. Why do you kick against the goads? You know, it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence. Maybe it's a coincidence, you know, Allahu alam, but it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence. It seems like, it seems like um, the author of Luke is borrowing the story. Maybe something similar happened to Paul. Who knows? And, and Luke thought, well, this is kind of close. I'll use this story because people are familiar with this story. Uh, who knows? Uh, but yeah, that's a, it's a very interesting uh, uh, parallel. And then, of course, uh, Dionysus is the god of wine. The Johannan Jesus, right? Uh, the, the first miracle at the wedding of Cana, uh, transforming water into wine. There are similar miracles attributed to Dionysus, the son of Zeus, water miracles, wine miracles. Uh, you know, Jesus says, the Johannan Jesus says, I am the true vine. Right. I am the true vine. In other words, that other guy is the false vine. That other guy that you're worshiping, Dionysus, you know, my my rival in the Greco-Roman world, that guy is the, the false vine. I'm the true vine. Wow. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think, you know, this obviously these there there are there's a sort of backstory to many of these things. I mean, in John chapter eight, it's it's very interesting that. You know, the author says that Jesus calls Jews that that believed in him, he says. They believed in him. Jesus calls them children of Satan, right, who believed in him. Why? Why would he call Jews who believed in him as children of Satan? It seems to be that there were Jews at the time that John's gospel was being composed that did believe Jesus was the Messiah. But, of course, that's not good enough. You have to believe that he uh, is the son of God in some sense or that he died for your sins. Um, that's what it seems to be uh, responding to. Wallahu alam. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's many parallels, um, in the book of Acts, as well as, uh, the gospels, the death of Hector, for example, uh, in, in Homer, very similar in its parallels too. And then also things that happen that are just, you know, I mentioned this as well in the, in the previous podcasts, uh, there are things in the passion narratives that seem to be just, um, highly implausible historically, yeah. you know, that, you know, this, the, the Jewish Sanhedrin would meet at night you know, in secret, and they would pass a death sentence on a man after a couple of minutes. And, you know, not, all of these things are historically implausible. And going, going back to Paul's conversion, you know, the high priest, he didn't have jurisdiction over Jews in Damascus, because that's what we're told in Acts, that the high priest, he told Paul to bring those Christians back. And, uh, and I mean, the high priest didn't have jurisdiction over Jews, over Essenes in, in Palestine, who are in his backyard, as it were. Um and then when Paul, in the book of Acts, when Paul is defending himself at his trial, you know, he says to, I think it was King Agrippa or somebody like that. He says, uh, King Agrippa says to him, you're, you're going to persuade me to become a Christian. Now, the word Christian wasn't around at the time of Paul, but it certainly was around at the time that the book of Acts was written. 
mm. in the early second century. So this is an example of a clear anachronism in the book of Acts. Uh, the word Christian is, is clearly a second century word. Um, the original Christians were called Nazarenes, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a name that takes, uh, it's, 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 it basically takes its name from, from Nazareth because it was known at the time that Jesus, peace be upon him, came from Nazareth. And they were a Jewish sect uh, that they referred to as the way, hahadas, the way, wow. this, this way, this Oh no, I think we lost him again. Yeah, we lost him again. <clears throat> it's okay, inshallah. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, "Read this, I pray thee." And he say, or he says, "I am not learned." Isaiah twenty nine twelve, the last prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. Yes, one hundred percent. This prophesies a man to come, and he will be given a scroll to read, and he will say, "I am not. Uh, I am unlettered." All right, welcome back, Doctor Atai. Thank you. Inshallah, next time we'll correct the problem. <laughs> Inshallah, it's okay. No worries. It's completely on my end, by the way. It's completely, you know, me and my technology. No. Yes. What was the question? 2912 Isaiah. Yeah, they were just mentioning it, saying that this is kind of prophesizing the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Yeah, Allahu Adam, you know. Um, I mean, when we look at Old Testament passages, it really requires a lot of explanation um, because yeah. it depends on how we want to sort of read these texts. And Jews and Christians believe that these texts have multiple le layers of meaning or levels of meaning. Wow. Um, so Matthew, for example... Um, in his gospel, he says that, you know, there's a passage in the Old Testament that says, out of Egypt, I've called my son. Out of Egypt, I've called my son, right? Uh, and clearly, in the context of the Old Testament, it's talking about Israel, right? Um, the children of Israel being called out of Egypt. But Matthew applies it to Jesus. Now, somebody could say, well, you know, Matthew, he's, you know, he's butchered the text, he's decontextualizing it. But this is not a a strange way or even an incorrect way of reading the text in Jewish circles. This is called remez, remez or rams, right? Uh, in Arabic, uh, it's, like an, it's like an ishara, it's like a sort of uh, subtle sort of exegesis uh, where there's sort of a historical context of the verse, but there's also a foreshadowing, something that's going to happen in the future. And this is a normal way in which Jews would read their text. Obviously, sometimes, you know, you can go with sort of overboard with these types of things. Uh, but the important thing is that uh, a, a remez exegesis is valid as long as you don't violate what's known as the peshat or the sort of vahir, the apparent meaning of the text. These two can never conflict, mm. right? So, yeah, I think there are passages probably in Isaiah, most likely in Isaiah and other places that seem to indicate a prophet at that time, but also may foreshadow another prophet to prophet come, to come. Wow. Uh, in the future, um, like 18, 18 Deuteronomy, that, that many Christians believe is a, is a, is a um, prophecy of, of Jesus, peace be upon him. But if you look at sort of the canonical context of that verse, um, it seems to be indicating Jeremiah, maybe Joshua. Uh, and, but Christians say, okay, that's, that's sort of in the context of what it was revealed. But there's an indication of a prophet like Moses to come in the future. And clearly for Matthew, that prophet is Jesus. The book of Matthew is sort of in five different sections because he's mimicking the Torah because Jesus is the new Moses. Wow. You know? uh, but like I said, the Remez and the Peshat cannot contradict. So Isaiah 53, for example, this is a classic error that Christian exegetes will make. 
and say Isaiah 53 is talking about a literal human sacrifice who dies for your sins, that cannot be the meaning. Isaiah 53 is poetry, and poetry, uh, you know, is elliptical. And poetry can never, ever um, uh, uh, supplant a, a clear, unambiguous text, something that is muhkam and wadih. You know, so every man is put to death for his own sin. Uh, Deuteronomy 20, 24, 17. That is very clear. There's no ambiguity in that whatsoever, right? Lo ish el, God is not a man, Numbers 23, 19. Ki anuchi el ish, Hosea 11, 19. I am God and not a man, right? And then Isaiah 53, which is very poetic, right? On the surface seems to be saying something. So a Christian, if a Christian were to say, oh, it's, it's saying that God is going to become a man and die for his sins. <laughs> that, is a, that is a violation of the Peshat, of the, of the Vahir, of the very clear, unambiguous surface meaning of the text. Uh, but this, you know, Christian exegetes, they have to find proof text for Pauline Christology. And it's very difficult to do that. Yeah. Because, yeah, because the, I think the, the, the clear verses uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament uh, indicate uh, a, a unity of God. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's essentially the, the sharpshooter fallacy. It's, it's where, like, you shoot a wall and then you draw the bullseye around your bullet hole it's uh, you you start with your conclusion then you find anything that fits it and you kind of neglect anything that goes against it this is completely okay. abhorrent to jews i did hear that some jews were kind of hellenistic at the time uh, around jesus or maybe before which which yeah. is maybe why jesus was sent peace be upon him that's why there's a lot of emphasis on worshiping one god because maybe they were influenced by hellenistic um you know greek beliefs definitely and philosophy. so yeah i think that's very interesting but I, I do have to get to the super chat here. Um, Moro said, Matthew 4.10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then he commented after saying, you've been re rebuked. So I, I don't know exactly what that is appealing to. Maybe you've, you're familiar with this this point or this argument. Um, who's Who's been rebuked? I've been rebuked. I don't know how that rebukes me. Uh, I don't know. Is Jesus here? Mm, yeah, he's, he's quoting... He's yeah, he's quoting uh, the Torah. Uh, the Quran tells us that Isa said, Torah, that he confirms the Torah. So, mm -hmm. so Jesus' strongest arguments, even in the Gospels, is when he's quoting the Torah. The Shema is the strongest argument. Your Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, uh, is one, right? Um, and so I, I don't know how that, I don't know what he means by that, but. Yeah, yeah, me neither, me neither. But, you know, you actually bring up a very interesting point, and I do want to mention Psalm 91. So I'm going to pull this up on my screen, inshallah, for a brief second. And the reason, I, I'm sure you're familiar with why I'm bringing it up, but for the for the audience, this is, I think, a very pro-Islamic text and a very pro-Islamic passage found in the Old Testament that seems to be prophesying um, somebody who is to come. Now, I'm not going to read the full thing. I'm just going to read kind of the end of it. But long story short, it speaks about a, a person, a man, who praises God. Um, and I, it's more so in the second half. So he praises God. And because of that, God says, no harm will overtake you, talking to this one person. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways, they will lift you up in their hands. Very specific. So that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Remember this passage. So you will not strike your foot against the stone. 
You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. Again, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. My salvation. This is very interesting. Dr. Ali Atai, why is this so interesting for Muslims? Yeah, this um, it seems to be an, a prophecy of, of Jesus, I would say. It's interesting because uh, <laughs> in, uh, in Matthew, Satan quotes this. You know, he says, it, sh- it is written about you. You shall not dash your foot against the stone or the angels will lift you up. It's, oh, you see, uh, Satan is, is applying. Yeah, Satan knows scripture. Satan, even Satan knows that this scripture is talking about uh, Jesus uh, and that God will rescue him. Here, here's the thing is like, what, what's Jesus's name? I mean, I mean, we look in the New Testament, there's only one man named Jesus, but, you know, people have been deceived um, because his name in Greek is uh, Iesus. And Iesus, if you go to it, is Jeshua, right? Jeshua in English. And if you go to a concordance and you just type in Jeshua, there's there's Jeshua's all over the Old Testament. Jeshua is just Josh, right? And what does the name Jeshua mean? You can go right now to the lexicon, Strong's Concordance, right? And just type in Jeshua. People can do that right now, blueletterbible.org, and just type in Jeshua, and then look at the, the meaning of Jeshua. He is saved. That's what his name literally means. He is saved. It doesn't mean savior, right? It means he is saved. Uh, Psalm, so, so Christians will point to certain things, like in the Psalms, um, in Isaiah, like I said, and they said this is a prophecy of the death of the Messiah. None of those passages that they uh, that they use mention the word Messiah. This Psalm doesn't even mention the word Messiah, but Psalm 20 verse six does Psalm 20 verse six. And I can read it to you in Hebrew. It says, Okay. So David writes in Psalm 20 verse six, he says, I know that God will save his Messiah. He shall hear him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. It's very clear. God will save his Messiah. Wow. Right? Uh, so <laughs> it doesn't get any more clear than that. Right? Uh, but somehow Paul got it into his head that the Messiah had died, not only died, but had died for our sins. So the Christians, the Paul and Christians, had to find these proof texts. And in many cases, they're pointing out things, they're looking at things in the Old Testament and interpreting them in, in, in extremely figurative and imaginary, uh, imaginative ways that actually violates the Peshat, the plain meaning of the Old Testament or the Tanakh. Yeah, uh, so I that's, think that's a... Yeah, that's very beautifully said. And now this, this is for young Don and, and, and any Christian really who has an open heart to the whole Bible, the Old and the New Testament. I mean, look at this verse from Psalm 20, verse 6 that Dr. Ali Tai just mentioned. Uh, and this word anointed, uh, in Hebrew, it's, it's Messiah. That's, that's what it mm-hmm. means. It's just a Messiah means the anointed one. So now this I know the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious powers, right? And so on and so forth. So, you know, yeah, he, it's not a very good translation. Hoshia, Hoshia. Yasha means to save from bodily harm wow. in Hebrew. So wow. victory is a bad translation. This is a, this is a bad translation. 
I would say yes, maybe yeah. an intentional mistranslation, if anything. And Young Don has mentioned that before. Actually, no, I think it was you who mentioned that. It was certain yeah. passages were mistranslated on purpose, like uh, yeah. the yeah. verse that says, they, they pierce my hands and my feet, actually is like lines at my hands and feet. But that's actually <coughs> for another, uh, another day. I do also want to bring it back to Psalm 91, which we quoted before. Just to mention again, Jesus was, was, you know, this, this passage was quoted to Jesus. We lost Dr. Ali Atai again. But this passage was quoted to Jesus. Satan quoted the passage from Psalm 91 to Jesus where it says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in your hands so that you're, you will not strike your foot against the stone. Right? So again, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew 4. Sorry, my laptop's a little bit slow. It's not loading very well. No worries, no worries, inshallah. I was just bringing it back to Psalm 91. Oh, wait, I have to bring you on the stream. One second. Sorry, my laptop's being a little bit slow. I'm probably going to have to end the stream soon because my laptop's going to give out. And if that happens, the stream is done. So I was bringing it back to Psalm 91 and Matthew 4. So the devil took him to the holy city and had to stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Then he quotes Psalm 91 saying, Jesus, this is about you. Psalm 91 is about you. So if you jump off, God's going to send his angels to lift you up so you don't hit your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So he affirms it's about him. You know, if you come to yeah. me and you say, Rami, um, are you six feet tall? And I say, I'm also handsome, then I'm affirming I'm six foot tall. I'm just adding on a little information for you. That's what Jesus is doing here. When you go to Psalm 91, yeah. it specifically mentions that God will save him from his enemies and grant him a long life. Being crucified yeah. by our enemies at the age of 33 is not exactly that. Yeah, and show him his salvation and salvation there. I think it's a play on words because it's related to the name of Jesus. Also in, in Psalm 20, verse 6, Yesha, Yamino, Yesha. So, Hushia, Adonai, Mashi. So it's poetry again, but I think there's a there's a clue into the actual name of the Messiah. It's related to Yeshua. It's Yeshua, which means he is saved. That's what his name means. You know, but if you read English translations, you read the Bible. His name his name is Jesus, and he's the only one named Jesus. But no, his name oh. is Josh, right? And Josh is a very popular name, the sixth or fifth fifth or sixth most popular name of Galilean Jews, and it means he is saved, saved by God. Wow. So Jesus's name basically comes from a word that means he is saved yes. by God. Yeah, wow. that's you know you look at the names of prophets, you know, like uh, Abraham, the father of nations, Abraham, because he's the father of nations, right? Uh, Ismail, Ishmael, God hears, right? Yitzchak means laughter. Isaac means laughter. Fadahikat because Sarah laughed. Moshe means, according to Exodus, it means to, to to draw out of the Nile, but that's actually a false etymology his name is actually egyptian it means born of uh and then question mark he's because you know the, the woman who hatshepsut or asia whoever picked him from who plucked him from the nile that it knew he was a hebrew but didn't know the name of his god you know so he's just born of an unknown god uh so these are indications you know and so uh yeah but that's what his that's what his name means of course the name of the prophet Sallam, the most praised and this is literally, you know, he's the most praised man. I mean, it's the praising is happening now. Somebody right now is making Avan. This is happening 24-7 until the, until the Sa, right? Yeah. 
Um, so, I mean, it, just the name of the prophecy system itself is a miracle. It's a prophecy to miracle. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's beautifully said. Now, I think it's very important that we actually, I want to give the floor to you. I think what, what you think is best is, is what we should, what we should do here. It's up to you if you want to discuss to Christians or with Christians, the importance of why Islam came or if you'd rather discuss the Quranic understanding of Jesus or if your Wi-Fi wants to cut out instead. <laughs> May Allah bless him. It's okay, inshallah. Probably get to end the stream soon. But um, he'll come back, inshallah, and then we'll, uh, we'll see what he wants to do. And then from there, we will continue. So I think it's been an amazing stream so far, alhamdulillah. It's, um, a lot of information has been shared. It's a lot for people to reflect on. And I think that, if, inshallah, if people are sincere, they will see the truth in this and they will question it with an open heart and really consider Islam. Really genuinely consider Islam. <clears throat> All right, welcome back. Shaitan's <laughs> working overtime trying to get your laptop to overheat. He's like sitting over it like with a, with a stove or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, what, did, what, did, what was the last thing you said? Yeah, so it's, I, I want to know what you want to discuss next if there is uh, ah. some more time. If you want to discuss why, why Islam had to be sent, why the Prophet had to be sent, why the Quran was sent, or if you mm. want to discuss Jesus from an Islamic perspective and why it's not completely crazy or, you know, or incompatible with uh, what we see throughout history. Yeah, I mean, we can touch on both of those, and maybe we can expand later. But uh, the the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was sent to basically restore the true understanding of God because it had been lost. Um, you know, the Christians um, by the by the sixth century, seventh century, the majority of Christians were Trinitarian, uh, and this is not the teaching of Jesus. Even according to Young Young Don and and many Unitarians, uh, this was a, a corruption uh, of the Injil of the Gospel. Um, and then if you look at like the Jewish law, I mean, Judaism is a very interesting religion. Uh, if you look at the 613 commandments that were given in the Torah, the vast, uh, maybe, maybe half of them have really no application after the destruction of the second temple. The temple was absolutely central to, uh, Jewish identity. And so because of the temple, the priesthood, the animal sacrifices, none of those things are on the earth right now. So for most of Jewish history, half of the Torah is irrelevant, is obsolete. Um, and, and so this is a good indication. I mean, it's circumstantial evidence, but I think it's good evidence that the Torah was never meant to be the final and decisive uh, sacred law given by God, that something must be coming later, Right. Uh, and so the Quran is revealed and we're given the Sharia, which is good until the end of time. Uh, and theology had to be restored and true ma'rifah, true knowledge of God had to be restored to the earth. Uh, and so this is why the Prophet Sallallahu said, and he was, like I said, he was, he's the most successful monotheist by far in human history. No one is even close to him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so. And so Jews in the Middle Ages, Jewish, you know, medieval authorities, they really don't know what to do with the prophet. Like, who, what, what do we say about him? Because, you know, we can't be too harsh because he brought Tawheed and he was more successful than all of our prophets put together. Um, so this is one of the major reasons that he was sent. And of course, we have his authentic sunnah. You know, we don't know much about the historical Jesus of Nazareth. Um, 
you know, the author of the last verse in the Gospel of John says, whoever wrote this gospel, he says that there are many other things that Jesus did. And I would imagine that. To be continued. I'm seeing some uh, some silly comments here. I'm seeing some funny comments here. People are talking about like Makrullah um, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of deception from God in the Bible, by the way. I hope you guys know that. Um, Jeremiah 4.10 Then I said, Ah, Sovereign Lord, how you compl how completely you have deceived you know these people in Jerusalem by saying you will have peace when the sword is at our throat. So here you have Jeremiah in the book of Jeremiah 4.10. God has deceived the people by saying they would have peace and then there was a sword at their neck. At least in Islam, even if we say that, okay, yeah, Allah deceived, Allah's deceiving a deceitful people. So when you deceive a deceiver, you're actually doing something good. When you deceive a deceiver, you're actually doing something good. But it doesn't even actually mean necessarily deceiver. You know, if you look at the term makr, other dictionaries, they, they specify it could mean deceiver or to deceive. It could also mean resourcefulness. It could also mean planning and plotting. And that's why, and it's so perfect because the term makr, anything that is attributed to a human in the same word attributed to Allah has to have different meanings. Because by definition, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, anything he does is not like what a human does. So if Allah plans, it's not like the planning of a human being. Because Allah's, Allah's plans is with full resources without fail. And a human being is just to the best of their ability and their knowledge. So it could mean, makr, that the people tried to deceive and then Allah planned. It could mean that people tried to plot, which is exactly what they're doing, by the way. They plotted, they sat together and planned, which is what the verse indicates. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala planned and Allah is the best of planners. If you look at the context of the verse, there actually isn't really any deception that the people were doing. So that, that translation wouldn't even make sense there either. <clears throat> Bro, I swear I blocked this guy. I don't know why he's still commenting, unless he made another account. And I would block him faster, but my laptop is so slow right now. So forgive me for that, guys. Okay, inshallah. So we're going to go ahead and end the stream. I think it's uh, it's lagged a little bit too much. So inshallah, we're going to end it. Unfortunately, it's a bit of an abrupt ending, but I think we discussed a lot, alhamdulillah. And... I'm really trying to mute this guy or block him before I end the stream, though. I need to find a trusty mod for these future streams, inshallah. But regardless, uh, I want to hear from you guys, inshallah, if any of you want to uh, comment your thoughts, inshallah. Yeah, there are some real trolls on there, unfortunately. Prophethood ended with Muhammad, وسلم, so stop the nonsense 100%. Prophet is the only prophet who claimed to be the final prophet. He is the only prophet, at least in Abrahamic religions, who claimed to be the last and final prophet of Allah. The last and final prophet of God. <clears throat> Jesus didn't even claim this. Jesus did not even claim this in the New Testament that they have. He actually said a comforter was going to come. <clears throat> Man says I'm Muslim and then says some crazy stuff. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back. Wa alaikum salam. I've never seen this. This is so 
I don't know what my computer's doing. It's okay, no worries, inshallah. Like I mentioned, Shaitan's working overtime. But it's okay, we're going to go ahead and end the stream, inshallah. We're definitely going to schedule another one to uh, go deeper into this. Maybe if Christians are down, they can hop on and we can discuss with them if you're, if you're up for that as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, perfect. I just don't want so, to yeah, if, if die again, but... No worries, inshallah. If you, if you remember your, your train of thought, if you wanted to finish it before we end off. Before we oh, I was, uh, I was saying about... Um, Obviously, we believe certain things about, about Jesus, peace be upon him, that he was a prophet. We believe that he could perform miracles. But if you look at sort of our base Christology, like, you know, our sort of base core beliefs about who he was, it's much more in line with the historical Jesus than, uh, than, the, than the Jesus of Christian faith. Yeah. Right? Jesus was, I mean, if you ask a historian who was Christ, he'll say, you know, he was a, a prophet. He claimed to be a prophet. He claimed to be a healer. Um, you know, he was a rabbi, he was a, a scholar of the Jewish law, he never claimed to be God, he probably never claimed to be the Messiah, there's a difference of opinion about that. And just that right there is very close uh, to our Christology, that we place him, you know, that our conception of him is more coherent than even what Paul was preaching in the 50s, uh, you know, this idea of a dying and rising Savior, man, God, who died for your sins, and um, is mysteriously sort of semi-divine or quasi-divine or whatever. Yeah. Um, seems to be sort of um, more sort of um, influenced by other elements. 100%. And, and for more information on that, you did do a full stream and a full presentation on blogging theology with Paul Williams. I believe the title of it was something about the crucifixion of Jesus. Do you remember the title? I think, it's, yeah, I think it's a... Uh... I think it's just called Jesus Was Not Crucified, The Evidence. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, so. So well. I recommend watching that, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. And with that being said, Barakallah Fikum, everyone who joined. Jazakallah Khair, Dr. Ali Atai. It's always a pleasure having you on. And hopefully we can do this again, inshallah. If you guys have questions, yeah. please leave them in the comments. And I will make sure to bring Dr. Ali Atai back on with um, a better setup, inshallah. <laughs> and uh, with that being said, any final words, Dr. Atai? All right. Amazing. <laughs> and with that being said, Allahumma atina fid dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kina adab al-nar. Inshallah, we'll see you guys on the next one. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.